Good morning, church family. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to John chapter number six this morning. While you're doing that, if you are at all interested, um, our friends at Hands on Missions are having a strategic meeting tomorrow evening at 7.30. I can get you an invitation too for the Brazil trip that's coming up later this year. And there is a medical element to that. So if that interests you in some way, uh, just see me after the service and I'll make sure you get that information. John chapter number six, and we're gonna pick up in just a few moments right where Isaac read for us. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we pray this morning that you would do that work that only you can do as we feast on your word. Lord, would you uh, wound us where we need to be wounded and heal us where we need to be healed. God, do a deep and abiding work in us this morning and help us to give ears and hearts totally to you. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a lot going on in John chapter number six. Um, even on the surface level, there's, there's a lot of activity happening here. Jesus feeding the multiplied thousands of people with two fish and five loaves. That's a pretty big deal. Uh, Jesus withdrawing from the crowd to uh, remove himself because they said they were going to set him up to lead them by force. That's significant. Him walking on the water. That's pretty significant to reach the disciples in the midst of a storm. And now we come to a part of the text that's known as the um, bread of life discourse. It's essentially Jesus further revealing himself as the true Messiah. That's a lot going on in one chapter. And if you look at toward the end of John 6, I mean, it's, it's already a long chapter. It goes 71 verses. Um, but beneath the surface of what we've already talked about, there's also a lot going on. Now, I'm not suggesting there's some hidden secret that you've got to get a um, decoder ring in the mail. You send off for it and it comes in the mail and then you do the little uh, special code to figure out some Bible code. No. But sometimes when we're reading scripture, we, we are in a mode of collecting dots of information. I know in my Bible reading early on in my Christian life, it was all new information, drinking from a fire hose. So you just kind of take it all in and then Later on, as you're studying, some of the dots begin to connect. You ever found yourself reading in a New Testament passage and you're just stopped in your tracks? You go, wait a minute. This sounds like, and you start flipping back, or maybe you look at those cross references. Oh man, chase down the cross references. It's a beautiful Bible study too. But you start chasing down the cross references and things begin to come alive. I don't remember the number, I'll be conservative and say it was at least four or five of you last year when we were working through our Grace Covenant Church Bible reading plan together as a family that talked about how rich the New Testament reading was because you had just finished like an Old Testament parallel to that and it began to come alive. Amazing. When we slow down and ask the Holy Spirit to help us and give us understanding, God shines the light on his word, whether you're in elementary school or you are a seasoned saint for the Lord. Norm alluded to this last week, but there's a lot of callbacks to Moses in John 6. A lot of callbacks. Um, what's the purpose of that for? Why do we even care what the Old Testament says if we have 
the New Testament. You may or may not believe this, but there are many preachers today who say the Old Testament is not worth reading, studying, or applying. They have big churches, Bible churches. One of them's a DTS grad that says that. Uh, but the Bible says in Romans 15:4, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. First Corinthians says, now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. The Old Testament is still the word of God. And may I remind you, it's the Bible Jesus used. Do you ever think about that? It's the very scripture that he referred to. So as we study, we discover in John chapter number six, uh, these callbacks to Moses. They're not explicit, but they're implicit. Do you remember at the end of chapter five when Jesus was speaking to those Jews who were trying to call him out for saying he was God's son? And Jesus said to those Jews at the end of chapter five, Moses will condemn you on the day of judgment. So you keep saying that I'm going the wrong way, but I'm telling you the Bible, the scripture that you have is enough to point you to me. One day that would be fulfilled. In this chapter, we discover it made me think of the Old Testament. It also took me to Hebrews because I love the book of Hebrews where Jesus is a better Melchizedek. Jesus is a better Abraham. Jesus is a better Moses. And we see that play out right here. God sent a greater Moses, and the first few verses of chapter 6 give us context for that. Let me just point it out to you, and then we'll dive into our text for this morning. It really sets the stage, though, for the rest of the discourse. First of all, Jesus is leading a great crowd just like Moses did. Moses was the leader of Israel when Israel escaped from slavery in Egypt. I know that most of you know that. But when we think of Moses, we think of this man leading a large crowd out of Egypt to the promised land. So secondly, the crowd is following Jesus because of the signs that he did. Why did the crowd follow Moses? They saw the signs he did in Egypt. Moses was the one God used to bring the ten plagues on Egypt. Those signs authenticated his role as a leader. Thirdly, Jesus and his disciples are going up to the mountain. Moses and Joshua went up to the mountain. Remember that? After performing and leading uh, Israel, performing those signs and leading Israel out of Egypt, Moses and Joshua go up to the mountain to get the law of God. Lastly, another parallel, these events took place during the Passover. Hello, that's a pretty big callback. Uh, a yearly Jewish festival that celebrated the exodus from bondage. But really, up until that point, anybody could have kind of done those things. Anybody could lead a crowd up a mountain at Passover. That by itself wouldn't distinguish someone like Moses. Here's where it gets interesting. The miraculous feeding of the people is where we turn to the corner of distinction and see Jesus as a better Moses. I don't know if you can think with me for just a moment, but George Washington, first president of the United States, like there are so many streets and buildings and colleges and schools named after George Washington. When you think of the founding of this nation, even though there's history that leads up to George Washington, we think of George Washington as kind of that first and great leader, right? And then nobody's perfect. I'm not here. If you're a history major and you want to come point out all of his flaws, send me an email at trash at gracecovenantchurch.com. 
But what I'm saying is, we think of him as a great leader. Moses was like the George Washington, Michael Jordan, like all of that wrapped together. That's the way that the Israelites thought about this great leader. But Jesus comes, Jesus comes and feeds the 5,000. Now, Israel's incredible exodus from bondage, they were out wondering how in the world are we going to eat? We're talking about multiplied hundreds of thousands of people. And they're like, how are we gonna eat? And God provided miraculously for them. It was bread from heaven, okay, a little call and response here, and it was called you know what the word manna means? Imagine a family sitting in there. I'm trying to picture my kids and what I'm saying, Dad, what's for breakfast? What is it? I'm like, something's for breakfast. Well, what is it? Well, something's for breakfast. What is it? Go out in the yard and get it. What is it, Dad? What is it? The word manna means actually, what is it? So like if you're going to call yourself something cool, like I think this is pretty important. It's like manna. Just know that every Hebrew is going to go like, what is it? Yeah. So they went out and miraculously God provided for them, but he provided just enough. Remember, it would spoil if they kept it. Jesus comes and feeds the 5,000 men, possibly up to 20,000 people, and there was extra leftover and did it right in front of them. Not in the cool of the night where they woke up and it was there. He did it right in front of them. Jesus fed them. Another big term was Jesus walking on the water. Think back with me to Moses. And they come to the Red Sea. Remember the account? I like um, the songwriter from the last 20 or 30 years or so that wrote the song, He's an On-Time God. She summarized it like this. She said, you can ask the children of Israel, trapped at the Red Sea by that mean old Pharaoh and all of his army. They had water all around them and Pharaoh on their tracks, but from out of nowhere, God stepped in and made a highway just like that. He's an on-time God. Yes, he is. That'd be a good place for an amen if you wanted to play along there. That's good, yeah. So he's an on-time God. But it's interesting for that as we link about Jesus and Moses. Listen to this. Remember when the disciples got on the sea that night, Norm covered this, this wind begins to blow. A major wind blows in the storm. So the wind threatens the disciples. Look back at Exodus 14. I'll put it on the screen for you. The Bible tells us that God drove the sea back with a powerful east wind. It's a callback. It's beautiful. Like the east wind makes a way for the children to cross. And then in the New Testament, Jesus has to step into the wind to deliver the disciples. It's awesome. And now he's gone over to the other side, to Capernaum, and the people have found him. Verses 22 through 24, if you go back and read that, it's a little narrative for the story. These people look and see a boat is gone. They're like, the disciples are gone. They start looking for Jesus. They start trying to ping Jesus, figure out where he is. He's not with them. He's looking for everybody, uh, or they're looking, everybody's looking for him. Then some boats come, and they all load up on the boats, get to the other side, and they show up on the other side, and they find Jesus. They wildly pursue Jesus. Why? Because they wanted him to be Lord and master over their lives. They were ready to bow on their face before King Jesus and say, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Lead me. The way that I'm going is leading to destruction. I'm only consumed with myself. I need to be made new. No. No. They like Jesus as a, um, a fish maker and a bread baker. And they wanted to be near him because it was pretty cool how he met their needs. I wonder what's for lunch today. Jesus calls them out on it. 
Look with me at verse 26. I've got a few headers for you. They'll come up in just a moment. But if you look at verse 26, they come to him. Well, 25 says, and they say to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Don't you love that? They all got on a boat, speedboated over there as fast as they could, looked for him, and then found him, and then kind of were like, you know, maybe they were sweating. Going, We've been here the, the whole time. When did, you get, when did you get here, Jesus? Like they were just so obsessed with getting to where he was because they wanted to see something. Jesus answers in verse 26 and says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you, are, you ate your fill of the loaves. They didn't realize that this one who miraculously supplied bread was also the only one who could meet the deepest needs of their life. They didn't realize he was the only thing that would satisfy their deepest hunger and longing. They were only interested in what he could do for them in that moment. But the world is full of people like that, isn't it? The world is, in fact, that's the description of those outside of Christ. It's full of people who would be just fine with Jesus meeting their earthly needs and taking care of the poor and advancing some kind of social justice narrative as long as he doesn't make any eternal demands on their life. We want the temporary benefits without the responsibilities that matter for eternity. Shockingly, the church is also full of folks who are chasing after an attribute of God instead of God himself. But I've come to tell you this morning, actually, I'll tell you a whole lot just to present the text to you. Number one, we need the bread of life more than we need the bread of this earth. And I say that fully conscious and aware that Lauren Cappers has brought many loaves in this morning. I'm being tested even now as I preach this truth. We just read 26, but look on with me at verse 27. He says, don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on Him, God the Father has set His seal. We all know what it's like to be hungry. New babies show up hungry. I remember when we brought Chase home from the hospital. We thought we knew some things until you get home with your first newborn and you realize all the things you don't know. And we looked like children ourselves practically when we brought him home and we get home and we're like, now what, right? Now, new babies I know need feeding. Now, do you think when Chase was in the living room with us, when we lived in that little house in Landis and he said, uh, he began to cry and articulate that he was hungry. That I then muted the television and said, <clears throat> food's in the kitchen and while you're up, grab dad a ginger ale. Right? No. We took care of that need because he was incapable of meeting his own needs. That was at the beginning of our parenting and I've come to discover that um, kids of all ages at times live in a perpetual state of hunger. Can any parents identify? Cappers, I'm telling you what, you got some tall kids. They eat, I'm sure, the feels. Like you guys just, you look like you're hungry now. That's great. We could eat. They're like, what, is there food? I love it. Um, we had a moment as a family where we had to have a little come to Jesus around the dining room table years ago because while, while our children were eating a meal prepared by their loving mother, 
chewing the bite, one of them went, hey mom, what's for snack later? So they, were, they, they just live in a perpetual state of hunger. We, we often hunger for, in the natural, we hunger for the wrong things. We'd love to go for the fried chicken sandwich instead of the grilled chicken salad at times. I know some of you weirdos just eat kale, but the rest of us <laughs> want something delicious that we know our cardiologist would be standing beside us going, stop that, right? We want things that taste good. Sometimes we just want a quick fix. A quick sugar rush would suit us just fine. But that's not sustaining nourishment. These people that had come to where Jesus was, even though on the outside we're looking saying, wow, look at that great crowd running after Jesus. They were running after Jesus, moved by their full bellies, not their empty souls. If God's people are not careful, you and I can become captive to our physical impulses and longings. If we're not careful, we can start snacking on junk food and think that it satisfies. We can start longing for the things in the natural to supply our needs instead of knowing that it's only our God that supplies all of our needs. C.S. Lewis would say, I cannot find a cup of tea which is big enough or a book that is long enough. Do you get what he's saying there? Yes, he's a nerd. We get all that. But do you get what else he's saying there? He's saying, even the things I love don't fully satisfy me. We just can't get enough. Nothing is ever quite enough. And here Jesus stands talking to these people who want more of what they had a few minutes ago. And he says, no, no, no. You need the bread of life. The second thing I'd have you note this morning, and I'm going to read through several Scriptures that let Jesus prove this point for us. Only God gives the bread that satisfies. You, you can't find it anywhere else. You can look for it, but you cannot find it anywhere else. Let me run through several verses, and we'll put them on the screen for you as well. But John 6, 33, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus says in verse 40, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up in the last day. Verse 47, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Verse 50 and 51, This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. That's interesting. Verse 54. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood is eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last day. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. Verse 58, this is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is God's gift to the hunger of the whole world. Jesus is God meeting the world's greatest need. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus, so that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Verse 28, they said, what should we do? What must we do to be doing the works of God? 
The crowd's going, well, what do we do to do that? And Jesus said, this is the work of God that you believe in him on whom he has sent. Process that for just a moment. Can you, I've got it on the screen. Maybe you've got it right in front of you. Just to yourself, read verses 28 and 29 to yourself. Do you see it? And you just go, if you're there in the crowd, really? So just believe? That's it? Just believe in Jesus? Jesus replies, believe in me. It's that simple. Now, it's incredibly layered and textured, but it's, it's that simple because you won't believe in Jesus unless the Holy Spirit has convicted you of your sin. And you come to Jesus in faith that God gives you and repentance that's the fruit of that. It's this beautiful, multi-layered, textured thing, but it's simple enough for a child to understand. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Suppose that this afternoon you invite a family over to have a meal at your home. Um, or suppose you break, baked like 30 loaves of bread and want to give one to your pastor. Anyway, so just move it on. Suppose you invite, I'm kidding, uh, a family over for a wonderful meal and you did your homework. You found out what their favorite meal was. And, and not only that, you actually made some calls, sent some texts and found out their favorite dessert. And so they sit down and the meal is prepared exactly the way they like. I mean, they're, they're kind of freaking out, right? They're eating and saying, this is amazing. Like, you found out that the wife likes this thing and the husband likes this and you had them both. It's pretty awesome, right? And then to top it off, the portions are just enough where they're satisfied, but you know, a little something sweet would be nice, and you walk out with their favorite dessert. Everybody's sitting back, patting their full tummies, and uh, imagine it's time for your guests to leave, the night is coming to a close, and they walk up and say, what do we owe you for this? Right? Now, I haven't read uh, the book of etiquette recently, but I know that's like, what? Don't do that. You probably say, no, 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 you, you don't owe me a thing. They pull out their wallets while they're talking to you. You're going, no, 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 stop. And they throw a couple $20 bills at you. Now, in this economy, you probably maybe take it. I don't know, but yeah. I know etiquette's something, but thanks. Uh, that'll pay for a gallon of gas. Um, but you're like, no, 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 don't pay me. They're like, look, we're not freeloaders. How much do we owe you? Just the mention of payment uh, in that setting of you being hospitable and, and pouring your love on them as this expression would be an insult in that way. I, I want you to see that Jesus is offering them the bread of life and they're like, okay, what do we do? And Jesus is saying, just do what I say. Just obey me. Just believe in me. I'm calling you to believe in me. The bread that endures unto eternal life is the bread that is freely given from God and it's freely received. It comes through belief. We can't pay for it ourselves. You can't do anything to earn this gift. It, is come to, it has come to you as a free invitation. But we must feast on it. The crowd doesn't get it, though. He's made it plain. This is before the discourse and all those things that I told you. Look at verse 30 and 31. Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? Are you kidding me? When we read this, now, my wife wasn't talking about our kids. She wasn't talking about your kids. She was talking about kids that don't go to church. But when we read this, she said, that's just like teenagers, isn't it? Like, 
He just multiplied fish and loaves. Just, just I mean, just, just a, a day ago, right? And, and now they're saying, what sign will you give us? You know what they're basically saying? It was pretty cool how you fed about 20,000, but Moses fed hundreds of thousands. So if you're trying to be like Moses, what do you want to do? It's a callback to that. It, it's, it's, it's insulting. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. This little thing that you did yesterday was really cool, Jesus, but, but what else are you going to do? What's next? Thirdly, this morning, as he responds to them, I would say we must receive this bread. We've got to take it on the inside. Let's look at how Jesus responds. The text speaks for itself. Look at me at verses 32 through 35. The Bible says, Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Pick up with me in verse 47. The Bible says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. So that thing that you were wanting would not satisfy you through today, but I can satisfy you for eternity. This is the bread that comes down, verse 50, from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. Beautiful. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus keeps saying the same thing over and over and over, but here's what we learned from John chapter number one. I'll come back to it in a little bit. He came into his own and his own didn't receive him. So many times they miss the clarity of it, and so many times we can too. It's so plain and so simple. We need to come to God on his terms. You cannot have a relationship with God without Jesus. There's no other way. He's the only mediator between God and man. You cannot experience a vibrant, spirit-filled Christianity if your version of Christianity is not Christ-centered. It just doesn't work. Christ is everything. To those that are hungry, he said, I am the bread of life. To those that are thirsty, he said, I am the living water. To those who are dead, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. To those who are confused, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am that I am, Jesus says. I am he which was spoken of by the prophets. So clear. I gave you the bread as an example. You weren't even starving, but I took care of you. Now let me address the need that will last for all of eternity. But it's a callback to John 1, I mentioned it just a moment ago, where the Bible says he came into his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, all who feasted on the bread of life, who believed in his name, that's what he said it meant to take the bread of life, believe in his, he just said that so many times. He gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. I have it in my notes this morning, Lauren. I'll show them to you later, I promise. There's a header here that says Lauren's Bread. Most of us in this room have been blessed to receive a loaf of homemade bread from the Capper's family. 
Now it's a whole family enterprise now, as I understand. It started off as Lauren and now they're all involved. Uh, when Lauren looks around on Sunday morning, and the family does, she's looking for someone to bless, to encourage, uh, with a gift that points to the bread of life. If you take a bite of that bread, especially when it's still warm, beautiful things happen in your mouth. It's a wonderful thing. I mean, if you've got a gluten allergy, it's worth an EpiPen, I'm telling you. Like, it's, it's legit. When you take a bite of that bread and, and chew that up, you don't, there's no health rating at your house, is there? Like, the inspector doesn't come and give you a grade, right? There's not a drive-through, nothing like that. It's not a restaurant, it's your home, but you assume that it's safe to eat. Like, you take it, like, oh, it's warm, huh? Just take it, right? Um, you believe that it's safe to eat, it's not going to kill you. You, you, you believe that it's worth eating. You can't actually say that you've eaten it if you don't, like, chew it up and swallow it. If you take a bite halfway and do this number, right? Or as, like, one of my kids will do, he's like, I, I don't care for this. Not about your bread, but about something else. I don't care for this. Chewing it and spitting it out like a toddler is not eating. You either eat it or you don't. That's what it means. The same is true of believing on Jesus. You either believe in Jesus, on Jesus, or you don't. You either trust that he will give you life so you receive him fully and completely, or you don't. There's no middle ground when it comes to believing on Jesus. When you eat, you internalize the food. Thinking about eating is not eating. Knowing the nutritional facts about food is not the same as eating. Understanding how food is processed in the body is not the same as eating. To believe is to internalize the truth about Jesus. It's to receive him into your soul and to be nourished from the inside out. Thinking about Jesus is not the same as believing. Knowing facts about the Bible is not the same as believing. Understanding how Jesus saves a person. You may be able to explain the doctrine of salvation so beautifully and meticulously, but explaining it is not the same as believing. When we believe, we stake our life on the fact that the only way to live is in Christ. It's placing all of our hope. And all of our faith and all of our affection on the only one who is worthy because he said he would never, ever leave us nor forsake us. He said he would sustain us. He said he would be a help in the time of need. Jesus is everything we need. When we believe, we place all of our hope in him. When we believe, we have a deep sense that we will die an eternal death if we didn't believe in him. It's placing all of our confidence in him as the only one who can give us life. He's the only one who can give you strength. He's the only one who can give you peace that passes understanding. He's the only one who can give you hope in a hopeless world. He's the only one that can light you up in a dark and lonely world. Jesus is the best part of everything. And he's worth believing in. The best part of believing in Jesus is there's no bill. He comes completely free and says, cast yourself on me. Salvation is free. Living for Jesus will cost you everything. But he paid the price for that too. All you have to do is feast on the bread of life.
And lest you think the message today is explicitly evangelistic and only to those who don't know what it is. I think the condition of our churches today show that we have been satisfied to eat moldy, stale, junky bread instead of the bread of life. The choices that many of the church are making around us in our nation and oftentimes if we look at ourselves at what we are so tempted to be satisfied with or look to for satisfaction shows us that we have some misplaced affections. My prayer for you today, brother and sister in Christ, is that you would constantly feast on the only bread that satisfies. And that it would satisfy you so much that you couldn't wait to show up everywhere you go with loaves and pieces to give out to anyone who would receive. While Julia's coming this morning, I wonder if you might pray with me. I'll pray, she will play, and give you a moment to do some business with God. Father, we want to take this bread of life to a world that is starving to death and doesn't realize it so that they might taste and see that you are good. Lord, we want to feast on Jesus so that he satisfies us in the deepest part of our lives. Lord, that we become less and less attached to the things of this world, that we recognize that there's um, so many things worth turning loose of so that we can grab a hold of what you have for us. Lord, Help us to live satisfied and content lives because we have feasted on the bread from heaven. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Church, I'm going to give you a few moments to pray and talk to God. Consider your holiness, Lord. We tremble before you. And we close our mouths in a holy fear, as the Bible speaks of. You're not like us. You are the Lord. You owe us nothing. We deserve your righteous displeasure, rebuke, and curse because you are God and we are not. And yet, you are gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And you have given us the bread of life. You are unfailingly good to each one of us, and your mercy never ends. Lord, we know that this amazing grace is found only in your son Jesus. He was punished so that we could be forgiven, treated as a blasphemer and traitor so that we could be blessed as worshipers, executed as a criminal so that we could receive a son's inheritance, and crushed with pain so that we could taste joy and pleasure forever. Such grace. 
such life. This is the gospel. It's our hope, our joy. It's our life. In Jesus' name, amen.